On this week's episode of Friend Code, we're looking back at 35 years of The Legend of Zelda by sharing some of our favorite memories. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Friend Code. I'm your host, Michael Damiani. This week, I'm joined by two very special guests, Ash Paulson. How's it going, Ash? I'm doing super well. How's it going for you, man? I'm doing well here. Uh... Things are holding up okay. <laughs> How about you? Good. Are things going well with you, though? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, if, if it's a day that I'm recording friend code with you, it's a, it's a good day, man. So I'm, I'm just oh. happy to be here. I'm always eternally grateful to have you invite me on the show. And I'm just uh, excited to discuss some Zelda with you and our awesome other special guest. Yes. Always a pleasure. And it's a pleasure to have Rebecca Stone back on again. How are you doing, Rebecca? Doing great, thank you. I'm also super excited to talk about Zelda. <laughs> I had a feeling, you know, Legend of Zelda, there's just like something about it I think that you like we all find interesting enough to talk about. And I don't think any of us are really that big of fans of it though. So, you know, it was kind of like it was a little difficult to get this yeah, it was a little bit difficult to get this, you know, scheduled and make yeah. it happen. It's a but, pretty you know, unknown franchise, you know, not not too many people have heard of it. Yeah, everyone keeps asking yeah. about like Pikmin this and, and, and Kirby that and it's like no one wants to hear about the Legend of Zelda. It's okay. Right. Z- Zelda, he's he's the guy in green, right? Is that who that is? is yeah, that I think the guy so. Who's well, the green like, hat? Okay. Yeah, but then, like, I think it's, like, purple now, blue-purple, something like that. Oh, okay. Man, can you imagine an alternate reality where, like, Zelda is, like, the, like, underdog series that... uh, It's, like, the the mother series. Like, one or two Mm -hmm. games came out, and people want, like, a third one came out in Japan only, and people have been clamoring for that. It's turned into, like, a cult classic, and now suddenly it's this thing that everybody wants. (laughs) If that timeline means that Rhythm Heaven enjoys the status that Zelda does in this... (laughs) timeline i'm not gonna oh. say that's necessarily the worst timeline i could right. i could take a little bit of both ash what okay. if you got that but the price was mega man also became an underdog series that only had a few I entries mean, and people forgot about would you trade well, that that's true yeah that's true yeah that, maybe not maybe not i can't i can't betray my blue bomb man. i can't oh. i can't do it, uh, I can't do it. yeah but <laughs> We're not here to talk about Mega Man. I know we could talk about Mega Man. Hey, you know, when Mega Man has a big anniversary event, you know, I'll have you back on, Ash. Nice. But the Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda is about to celebrate its 35th anniversary. Uh, on the on Friend Code, we speculated about what Nintendo's going to do. In fact, by the time you're watching this, uh, a Nintendo Direct has probably happened, and there might have already been announcements about what is happening for the 35th anniversary of Zelda, and including what's going on with Breath of the Wild 2. So we don't know yet, but... You know, that's just the you know the hand that was dealt to to me <laughs> with scheduling. So we're gonna look back at 35 years of the Legend of Zelda and share some of our favorite memories. Um, generally, like one of the questions I love to ask people, maybe we could start here if if you'd like, is how they first got into the Legend of Zelda. Like, what was your first exposure to this series? Which game it was, or even if it wasn't a game. Like, I've heard some people who were exposed to it in other means. So I'm kind of curious. For hmm. me, it was, I, I remember it distinctly, I was uh, given a hand-me-down Super Nintendo, which you can kind of see behind me there, from an nice. older cousin um, who wasn't playing it anymore. And so I was a bit young. I was three or four years old. 
Um, so I got all these games with it, but it was mostly my dad who was playing it, and at that time I was just kind of watching. And The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past was the one that really clicked with him the most, so I was watching him play it, and eventually as I got a little bit older, I started playing it a little bit more too, um, explored in you know, the dungeons and the overworld and whatnot, and um, it, we kind of went from there. You know, every, every console that came out, it was always the Zelda game that was coming out with it that drove us to get it, but that was my start with A Link to the Past. I'm kind of curious. Um, oh, go okay. ahead, Ash, actually. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I'm gonna, um, I'll probably ask the same question of you two. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't precisely remember when I first played Zelda 1, but I can say for sure that Zelda 1 on, on NES was my first Zelda game. Uh, I got an NES when I was either 4 or 5, either for my 4th or 5th birthday, and with it I got Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt and uh, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But I didn't get Zelda, so I don't know at what point I got Zelda, um, but when I did, I just remember being completely entranced by it, e even as a kid. And I, I wasn't nearly good enough to be able to get very far in it back you know, when I was that young. But the series stayed with me, and I just kept playing the first, I think, two or so dungeons over and over again because I just couldn't figure out the rest of the game. Uh, but it stayed with me uh, throughout the years until I got my Super NES and ultimately A Link to the Past. And, uh, but I did start with the original Zelda. That's nice. I feel like anyone who, who grew up and actually had access to one of those older consoles, that, that was kind of like the typical experience, even just not just for Zelda. It was just replaying a few levels that you knew how to like get through of any like NES or old yeah. SNES game. If you couldn't beat it, it's like, oh, I could do these two levels. And I don't know. I found like, in my, for me, I found enjoyment in that as a little kid, too, even if you couldn't finish a game. I was the yeah. same exact way with A Link to the Past because I was so young. I, w I think I was playing it, you know, while I was three, four, five, six, even before we got the next Zelda game, just escaping Hyrule Castle for the first time, that very intro. Um, I did over and over because at the time I wasn't good enough to, to really get any further than that until I was a little bit older. Um, it actually helped me learn how to read, though, watching my dad play nice. it because he would play, you know, he would play through the whole game and I would watch him and he would read the text aloud to me and I would follow along. So I really actually credit a link to the past for helping me learn how to start reading that's Very really cool. yeah nice. that's really cool um uh, the, the video games being able to help teach people like like with math or you know reading skills like that that's been a thing that's you know been a subject of debate but actually has been a very resourceful um and, and a tool for people that you know even to the day you see how far games can help people you know with various you know disabilities and stuff and like how far controllers have even come like you know to to be able to be flexible enough and adaptable enough to allow more people to be able to enjoy games as well so games can be very powerful too for for educational purposes as well so that's i, I didn't that wasn't quite my experience though but it's really cool to hear that you know just hearing another testimony like that um the question I was going to ask both of you, though, because I assumed you both, I, I just trusted that you both probably played these, got into Zelda series when you were pretty young. And my question is about imagination, because I'm wondering if your experience was anything like mine. Uh, my imagination ran wild when playing Zelda for the first time, so much that, that it kind of filled in a lot of the gaps for me, where things that weren't necessarily in the game being presented, I was kind of like inventing things to to help with the story i'm curious if any like did these games kind of like you know get your imagination running did you do, do anything like that where you started to like invent things to kind of like tell the narrative because these games really didn't have a strong story in the early days uh, of the series I think I did that. I can't remember any exact scenarios or anything that I imagined specifically, but I remember an Ocarina of Time, and that was my next Zelda game after A Link to the Past. I was still pretty young. 
just roaming about Hyrule Field and you know there's not really a whole lot to that overworld but just kind of coming up with things like you said and um, not necessarily going along with the story sometimes especially if I couldn't beat the next dungeon maybe I was just kind of going around and creating scenarios myself. Hmm I don't think I ever did that and that may just Hmm. be because I've never been the kind of player to really try to place myself in, in a game world. Like, I, I've i never really been much into, like, Western RPG-style games because I, I prefer playing a bespoke character and not necessarily being the character. It just, for whatever reason, I just my imagination has never really worked quite like that. Uh, so I don't think, I mean, I can't say for sure because I was, I was like five years old, right? I don't know for sure. But I don't recall ever creating scenarios for myself, and I'm not even sure to what extent I cared about or even acknowledged the story in Zelda One. Um, because I was just so young. I think it wasn't until A Link to the Past that I started getting more into the story aspect of Zelda. And I know for sure with A Link to the Past that I wasn't inserting myself. In, like, I've never been the kind of person to rename Link to Ash or anything like that. I keep Link, Link. And on subsequent playthroughs, playthroughs maybe I'll do that for fun. But yeah, I don't recall ever uh, using my, my imagination ever running wild and, and inserting scenarios for myself uh, in Zelda 1. Gotcha. I, I guess I did, wasn't necessarily inserting myself so much as I was trying to elaborate and, and like add more mm. background to what I was seeing context. I so see. let me clarify. Mm-hmm. I think this will help make it a little bit more apparent, especially to our listeners and viewers. At the same time as I first got into The Legend of Zelda, um, the Zelda cartoon, the, the, the Zelda <laughs> cartoon was actually on TV, <laughs> dating myself there. I actually, as I played through The Legend of Zelda, I associated events from the show with the game. I thought Link had that personality. I, I thought, like, <laughs> Ganon God. was, like, you know, like, I, I know it wasn't one, I was old enough to, like, you know, I, I got yeah. eventually that, like, it wasn't one-to-one. But that stuff, like, uh, as simple as, like, going over one screen. Like, you were saying about, like, escaping Hyrule Castle. I would imagine it being a little bit more, like, cinematic. Like, trying mm-hmm. to envision, like... I would walk slowly because, like, instead of just like walking at the normal full speed, I'd be like, "No, I got to like sneak in here." Even though nice. the game did not dictate you needed to be stealthy mm-hmm. in that part, so I'd do stuff like that. I guess to kind of it's like more immersive. Okay. I guess is the better way to put it. I think I did a lot I, yeah. of that too, especially like with Epona okay. and stuff, kind of making sure that I was doing everything the way that it should be, like maybe approaching a certain place on my horse or yeah. Yeah, when you put it like that, Damiani, I definitely did stuff like that, for sure. I don't know if okay. I did it so much in Zelda 1, but starting with games like A Link to the Past and certainly Ocarina, I would do that. And I know for a, for a fact that I would, I lived for those uh, Link to the Past comics in, in Nintendo Power back in the day. And I, my imagination would run, run wild between issues, ex- imagining what was going to happen in, in that version of A Link to the Past's world. You know, just, I couldn't get enough of it. And I really, uh, I really hung on to that version, that design of Link and Zelda, I guess. And you know, you had uh, what was his name, uh, Rome, Rome? Rome, Rome, yeah, yeah. You had Rome, and uh, and yeah, like that captivated me as a kid. And so did the instruction booklets, like the the um, the all the old like the old art, like the classic art in the Zelda one and Zelda two instruction manuals. I know I read through the story descriptions and and poured over that art endlessly as a kid, and and would and would imagine kind of fill in the gaps where the games wouldn't. So when you put it like that, I definitely did that. 
a lot of that old concept art and the official artwork that you would see in the manuals and Nintendo Power and stuff really opened up for the imagination because there's only so much that can be portrayed in like the 8-bit, 16-bit style. So really seeing and opening up those manuals and seeing that beautiful detailed artwork, like Link going through the sewers and going up Death Mountain and stuff and seeing kind of the detail of the enemies of what they're really supposed to look like um, really opened up that imagination as well. Yeah. Yes. I, I always assumed other people went through this too, but I'm like, I'm always glad to hear people actually say it because I felt like so many times I would spend more times in the manuals or in the, the comics mm-hmm. or in the, the Nintendo Power manga panels and seeing what other people or how other, you know, authors envisioned what, you know, the world of Hyrule should look like if it was, you know, had more visual fidelity, had a different aesthetic than just 8-bit or 16-bit sprites. And it really colored how my impressions of of Zelda in the early days, the Legend of Zelda series. And, yeah, I... I just... Yeah, like, like, A Link to the Past was the one for me. That I, I felt like I did that the most. I, I like Zelda One was just like there's a connection between the the cartoon and that, but A Link to the Past on its own. I mean, I loved reading that comic. Yeah. I loved reading all the like di- like the, the manuals. I mean, we could talk about like the manuals too, like how you were saying the they like they they provide so much enrichment because even beyond like graphics, not all the story could be packed into the game at the time, mm-hmm. so they put a lot of the story into the manual, and I was just captivated by all that stuff. Same. And I, and I think I think for me, the the addition of a, you know, genuine backstory, like you had a prologue in A Link to the Past where if you just let the title screen run, sit for a bit, you'd get the whole thing uh, about, you know, the, the prologue setting up A Link to the Past. And and I think that really helped pull me into the world in a way that I wasn't uh, into Zelda 1 and and by extension 2 story. I know as a kid I didn't get Zelda 2 at all because it was just too hard for me. And I was like, why is it side-scrolling? What? This isn't what I expected. <laughs> I'm now, of course, with the benefit of hindsight and age and wisdom, I've been able to appreciate you know, what it does well in its own right. Uh, but it, back in the day, I was like, Zelda 2? I don't like this at all. <laughs> um, but A Link to the Past was when I think I really started like digging into Zelda. Um, more than more than any any other game prior to that, Link to the Past was what really made me a Zelda fan. I would say. For I, sure, you talk about that prologue. I watched that over and over and over oh, as a yeah. kid, just eating that up, seeing what I could get out of it this time that I didn't get out of it last time. <laughs> and there was just such a such a an interesting world to dig into there, and and not just with the the prologue and what was going on kind of in the background, but. But the characters you meet, you know, the the flute kid, you know, the 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 individual, the his his uh, his dad who's getting drunk at the bar because he he misses his kid and doesn't know what happened, you know, stuff like that. I would get so into these stories, and yeah, A Link to the Past was one of the first game worlds I think I was ever fully uh, immersed in that was really pulled into. I know that I would like. I would feel fear and trepidation at certain things. Like uh, when you get the quake medallion, you have to throw a stone into that circle of, uh, of rocks in the lake. And I was kind of scared to do it. I'm like, it says, beware, don't do it. You'll be cursed forever, whatever it says. <laughs> and I was scared as a kid. I was like, this is kind of kind of scary. And um, I just, yeah, there, I had so many. I, I know uh, the first time you Link, Link turns into a bunny, I felt genuine dread. Like, did I mess up? Did I screw up my game? Did I... Can I not go back? What happened to Link? Like it, it, it bothered me on some deeper level that that no other game I think had done that to me at that point. So, A Link to the Past is such a special game to me in so many ways. 
that overworld map alone i would just yeah. love to bring it up and just like look at it stare at it i, I just mm-hmm. liked walking through hyrule i i always got yeah. there was a bit of like melancholy whenever you got far enough in the game and kakariko's music changed from its theme to just being like the overall theme after you go to the dark world and come back it no longer plays. I'm like, no, I want that tranquil melody. I like, I would just like sit there and just kind of yeah. like, you know, soak and bask in that music and just like, uh, just like a lot of peaceful memories from, you know, like nostalgia from that. And it, it was always, I feel like it's a very like powerful memory. So I'm with you, Ash. I feel like A Link to the Past for me was the one mm-hmm. that kind of wrote me into the Zelda series. Because Zelda 1 and 2, as you said, like, they were intriguing, but a little frustrating and challenging and difficult to get through, whereas A Link to the Past kind of, like, had that immersion factor. I totally, it resonated me with with what you were saying with, first of all, how the world, you know, changes as you go on. You realize it's not so peaceful anymore, but then also that feeling of, oh, no, did I do something wrong when you go to Kakariko in A Link to the Past, and if you try to talk to one of the guards or they spot you and then they try to Mm -hmm. arrest you, you're like, oh, no, (laughs) I'm a criminal. And you realize, you know, it's such such an immersive world um, that you really put yourself into. And to say nothing of the incredible tonal shift that occurs once you beat Aghanim for the first time, which, by the way, as a kid, I you know I, I wasn't uh, putting as much effort into like actually parsing out the words correctly. So I used to, as a kid, call him Angaham. I don't know why. <laughs> it wasn't until a little later I was like, oh, that's not how you say that at all. What it's about Aghanim, obviously. Sahasrala? I, yeah, oh. so, so I say Sahasrala. I think I said I think I said Saharsla as a kid until I realized later it was like Sahasrala. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I said uh, yeah. I said uh, I used to say Kakeriko. I used to do that. I used to. I take a Kiriko as well. I did yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh man, I get like man. If I, I try to think of like I know I did a lot of others because I, they weren't spoken. A lot of these words were not spoken for like the right. longest time. If I ever. mispronounced so many Zelda things growing up, only to realize. And uh-huh. then when Breath of the Wild got some voice acting, and I realized it's Gerudo, not Gerudo. Yeah. I realized Same. there were yeah. so many uh, things. I remember like getting that. into very heated debates about it's the Gerudo, not the Gerudo, and it like it was funny. Uh-huh. Just one day, even before it was voiced. Just one day, I decided to say, you know, it's probably Gerudo. I, it was so weird. I was like so passionate about it, and then like, uh, 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 just randomly, I'm like, nah, it's Gerudo. I'm gonna go with this. It's just so weird. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, like, there, there are very few uh, gaming memories uh, from my childhood that stand out more than the incredible tonal shift that occurs when you beat Aghanim for the first time and you're, you're transported to the dark world, and suddenly mm-hmm. you're in this completely foreign land, and the music has changed completely into this kind of darker and, and not scary but darker and more serious kind of like okay you're in a you're in a whole new world now you're not in the Hyrule anymore um, you know you, you you go to the uh, you know you check out the world map and everything has changed you go to the eastern palace it's like a weird hedge maze now and you go to the eastern palace and it's the palace of darkness and the music is scary and it's <laughs> so good and uh, A Link to the Past is just really I, I like to say that uh, it may not, may not necessarily be my favorite game of all time, but it's certainly up there. But I do think it is the best game, or or maybe the most flawless game I've ever played. And in terms of, it's it's very difficult for me to find anything wrong with the Link to the Past all these years later. Um, so even if it isn't necessarily my favorite, it is objectively, I think, one of the most flawless games out there. Still. The way it does that transition into the dark world, I genuinely thought when I was playing it for the first time that getting the three pendants and going to get the Master Sword and going to fight Aghanim, that that would be the end of the game. And then when you get yeah. transported to the dark world and you realize, oh my god, I still have like six more dungeons to do. Um, yeah, the, the tone of it, just, it's amazing. Yeah. It was very intimidating for me. 
getting to the dark world. It, it mm-hmm. felt like this this means business. Uh, this is going to be more challenging, and this is where the real adventure begins. Unfortunately, like Rebecca, you saying it was a surprise for you. I think the commercial spoiled it for me because there were like a handful mm-hmm. of like live action commercials, and one of them was like, "And just when you think the adventure's over, it's really just yeah. begun." So I'm like, and then like I read, mm-hmm. Nint- I had Nintendo Power as a kid, so I think they even in a preview they said that, "Oh, mm-hmm. there's going to be a Dark World jump." I'm like, "Oh, nowadays Nintendo would be like, no, don't say that. Like that's a huge spoiler." Yeah. See, back then I was so mm-hmm. disconnected from all of that. I didn't have Nintendo Power. I didn't, you know, see any of the commercials or anything for those first couple of Zelda games. It was really just, okay, we got the game and we played it and that was it. Um, you know, it wasn't until years later when I started kind of diving into as much information as possible. Right. So there was, there was um, some surprises. Damiana, you mentioned how oppressive the world felt. And, and that's one thing I think it is carried over well by the game's difficulty. I mean, I, I still think it's one of the more difficult Zelda games for for non-series veterans out there. And I remember as a kid, I mean, struggling uh, even to get to the Dark World. And once you get to the Dark World, there are those little um, piranha plant-like looking guys, like the plant monsters that hop around. And they do like two or three hearts of damage per hit right after you enter the Dark World and you don't have the blue mail yet. So, you know, and the Hinoxes, they're throwing the bombs at you. They do a ton of damage. Like, it isn't just that it looks and sounds more oppressive. It is more oppressive. And I think that <laughs> comes across really well. Like, the, the Helmzor King, the first Dark World boss, that thing will tear you apart if you're not ready for it. The bosses do so much damage in this game. They do Blind. so much damage, even just normal yeah. enemies, and then not to mention yeah. the fact that it wasn't an easy way back to the boss if you died to the boss. No. You had to get there with enough hearts, first of all, and then if you died, you had to go all the way back. Yeah, and if you used uh, potions or anything, like life potions or anything, you had to go get those refilled, too, if you wanted yeah. to be able to, yeah. So um, it definitely felt oppressive in a good way, I think. And it it felt like every new boss that you beat, every new discovery that you made, it felt like a true achievement. Like the way that things were just dangled just out of reach. I remember like when I when I found out about the hookshot and I finally got the hookshot, I'm like immediately my mind burst into all these places I could now go. And it was so exciting. And I wanted to see what was around every new corner. And A Link to the Past captures that sense Mm -hmm. of discovery and... uh, and triumph, I think, so incredibly well. Very, Completely agree. Very well put there. I agree with everything you said. Link to the Past, yeah, I, I, for, I, I feel like it is definitely up there with, with challenge. For me, I, I always swear by the, the first two games, but there's also, I think Link to the Past is a little bit more cohesively put together. Uh, it, it has yeah. a little bit more modern, it, I mean, it's a retro game, but... It started kind of like the traditional style of Zelda game, so it's a little bit more well thought out, I think, and makes a little bit more sense how to progress in that game, whereas Zelda 1 and 2, you're not only fighting against pretty challenging combat, but how do you actually progress in these games is pretty, you know, cryptic for a lot of people, even if you're, like, mm-hmm. paying attention and, or, and, you know, have an adult go play Zelda 1 that's never played Zelda 1, they'll probably get lost very quickly. So I do appreciate right. a link to the past is that... It's flow and ebb. Uh, everything just works. As you put it earlier, Ash, you know, almost like a flawless or if not near flawless, uh, you know, put together game that everything right. just works together so well. And I think that's why a lot of people generally feel so fond about it when, when they think back on it. Yeah. And I know I, I this is jumping ahead in the series a bit, but but the... The, the degree to which I was so intimately familiar with the version of Hyrule in A Link to the Past. Like, I knew where everything was, and I knew, you know, it's like I knew my own neighborhood. It was like the way you'd know your own neighborhood walking around. I knew that world so intimately well. And that, 
in turn contributed to a really unique experience with a link between worlds that I can't think that I've I, I can't think of another game I've had this kind of experience with before because not only was I excited for a new 2D Zelda game in a link between worlds because it's 2D Zelda hell yeah I was uniquely excited about the fact that no this is a direct sequel to this game I played back in the Super NES you know in 1992 or whatever 1991. 90, 91, yeah. Um, and and the, you were revisiting this world that you knew 300 years later. And I was uniquely excited to dive into A Link Between Worlds to see how things had changed in universe 300 years later in that version of Hyrule. And it was so fun re-exploring that version of Hyrule in A Link Between Worlds from that perspective. Not just playing a game and exploring the world, but, but re-exploring a world in which three centuries had passed, but that I knew... I knew what to where, where everything was in the link to the past, but how had things changed, and how was I going to be surprised? And I can't think of many other games that have given me that unique a viewpoint when playing them, in terms of revisiting a game world so much time later. It really felt like coming home in a link between worlds, and I, I yeah. love exactly what you said about. You know, it's, they easily could have just done a remake of A Link to the Past and kept the same world and everything, right. but just in the updated art style and whatnot. But I'm so glad that they went with the sequel route instead, because like you said, we can kind of see how things changed, get introduced to new characters, kind of get a brand new story while still having that nostalgia that we had for A Link to the Past. I think that's the best choice that they could have done for that. It was such a cool experience, like it was coming home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of another example, Ash. Uh, I'm not the biggest expert on this. I, in fact, I only just finished playing through this game recently. But I, I, I feel like Dark Souls, Dark Souls Three. Um, mm -hmm. From what I understand, like the, the they have the same environments. It's like like Firelink shrines in the original one, but there's like a different version. You're seeing them like I'm. I'm sorry, I'm not the biggest lore thing. <laughs> uh, but like one is like a past or future version of it. So you are going through areas that like. Honor Londo is like this, this big castle uh -huh. area. Like when you get there in three, it's like, oh my gosh! Like I remember this zone. I like love, it's, it, but yeah. it's different. There's some different things about. It. I think that's maybe the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that was anything like what you had with the Link Between Worlds because that's also what I had. Like like going to the game, I was like, I want to see how my expectations, my memories of the original game play into my experience of seeing a a new take on this world you know how is it familiar how does it feel different and that was kind of like a very fun way to progress through that game yeah and i and i guess the, the more i think about it zelda ha has been very good about this in general because I, i'm a big zelda timeline nerd i love digging into the lore of zelda and i love when you like one of my favorite parts of twilight princess which which is not necessarily one of my favorite zelda games otherwise but one of the coolest parts in that is when you revisit the temple of time and I remember, I remember lingering in that part and just letting the, the memories of my own experience of discovering the Temple of Time and Ocarina of Time just wash over me and thinking about the, the uh, implications of the time that had passed in-universe and just like, wow, this is so cool. I feel like I'm rediscovering my childhood through these video games I've played and rediscovering places I discovered in my childhood. It's, it was such a cool thing that Twilight Princess did. And, um, and Zelda's been pretty good about that in general, but... A Link Between Worlds, for me, is just like that whole game is, here's that version of Hyrule, let's see what's changed in the past 300 years, and how have you changed in the past 20-odd years since you've, you know, how are you going to regard this world as an adult or as, a, as an adolescent, uh, young adult, whatever, differently from how you regarded the original game as a kid? Mm -hmm. I just love stuff like that. And I feel like they do that with a lot of games, They and it's not always so outright, sometimes it's more subtle, where it's 
similar areas or even, you know, the exact same areas, but there's subtle nods to other games, you know, the previous games, and especially in the timeline, like you were saying, like, here's uh, the Temple of Time, you know, in Twilight Princess, but then there's all those subtle nods to how it was in Ocarina of Time. They had other things like the um, the Lost Woods. It was the same way in that yeah. game. It was called, you know, the... Um, I forget what it was called in Twilight Princess. The Sacred Meadow? Sacred Grove. Sacred Grove. Sacred Grove. Yeah, but like you could see the similarities and then with the Skull Kid and then like you could hear even the Lost Woods theme behind it. Just all these overlapping themes and stuff that really triggers the, you know, that nostalgia and, you know, you remember it from the other games. Man. Yeah. The, I think that moment for me was in The Wind Waker when you go down into Hyrule Castle. Hell yes. It doesn't seem familiar yeah. at first. You're just like, what is this? Like, this is supposed to be a sequel to Ocarina of Time. None of this looks familiar. It doesn't even look like Hyrule Castle. You get into the first level, and like, oh, there's a statue of the Hero of Time. That's kind of cool. There's some paintings here. But, like, I, I, I felt like, oh, this. The, the, I don't feel this strong connection. And then you go underground, finally, and you see that little, like, like temple area with the mass sword, and then you look at the stained glass, and you see the, the sage, glass. I and you see the sage, and in that, that moment, it's just like, yep. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they yeah. didn't forget about yeah. them. And like, those are the—that's exactly what I'm talking about. Where they have these, you know, it's not always right in your face. They don't always bring attention to it, but if you really kind of dive into it and take the time to look at it or listen to, you know, to the music, it it really, I think, enhances. Especially if you've played those other games. Maybe oh, yeah. you wouldn't notice that if, if you hadn't played Ocarina of Time, you wouldn't even, you would just think, okay, that's stained glass. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I mentioned the Twilight Princess example, but The Wind Waker, in my opinion, does it just brilliantly. And, and that's actually my favorite 3D Zelda, I think, is Damiani Knows. I just adore The Wind Waker. And that, that part where you go underneath Hyrule Castle that you just described is maybe like my number one favorite twist slash reveal slash moment in any, in any Zelda game. It's it's so up there. It's so good. And uh, you were mentioning the music, and I'm, I'm a huge video game music nerd. I love video game music. And the way that music uniquely can trigger the, those memories and, and, and that nostalgia, um, Zelda is very, very, very good at that. And uh, I'm, I'm recalling actually a very recent experience uh, in uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, we are going to, I think it's the, the mission where you rescue uh, Urbosa and, is it uh, Rivali or is it Urbosa and Daruk? I can't remember. Urbosa but it, it's, and it's, Rivali. Rivali, okay. So it, but it's the one where it's raining and it's like, and, you, and you're, so the music is playing and you hear the, I, I believe it's the uh, a, Link to the, a Link to the Past's Hyrule Castle theme and you hear that, that light motif play. And it, that just pumped me up to be like, oh, this is so cool. I might be getting my, 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 my missions mixed up, but uh, Age of Calamity uses so many leitmotifs that call back to they previous do. Zelda games. And that just the, it gives, gives you a rush of just energy and just makes it so, so much more special than it would be if you were not wise to those references, right? And especially since that was such an action-oriented game, you might not, especially if you haven't played, you know, the games where the motifs are from, and if you don't really stop to listen to it, it might completely go over your head. But, you know, the fans who have played those games and the ones who are kind of looking around for those types of things are the ones who notice it and appreciate it. Yeah. Such a good point. Yeah, music is very powerful in the Zelda series, and they just, these the motifs they keep going uh they keep invoking and you know just uh, it's because one they're very powerful tracks on their own but yeah the nostalgia the connective tissue that they have um when, when you really kind of look at it more i think <laughs> objectively zelda games tend to be more connected in that way as you're saying like 
imagery, visual cues, auditory cues that like help you remember, like reference things that aren't you know in your face as you said, Rebecca, versus the occasional. This is technically a direct sequel, so we're gonna reference the game, but a lot of the games there's like like when it comes to the storyline. That I think that's where the games are more strongly connected is through that those types of connections versus like actual direct references, which is you know <laughs> they as I said they've gone both ways with that, but I, I think they are at their best when they are doing you know the more subtle stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. Another one that comes to mind, it just popped into my head, was how in A Link Between Worlds, when Ravio has, you know, he looks like he has the bunny hood on him, and you don't even realize later until kind of why that is, and if you played A Link to the Past, yeah. it should click with you. <laughs> they're, for what it's worth, Nintendo, it seems to like, they're so aware. Like, when people love this, sometimes people like to argue that like, creators don't know as much as, like, their fan base about certain things because, obviously, creators, especially they work on multiple projects, that's not that they're only, like, creation, whereas, like, an enthusiast of just that series has more time and, like, research. But, like, it feels like when it comes to, like, Nintendo stuff, they, they're always very knowledgeable. I feel like nothing really gets by them when they do these references mm-hmm. to, to their past works and the nods because it's just, like, I don't know what their process is. It'd be a privilege to get a glimpse behind, you know, the curtain someday just to see how that goes on. But man, they—it's uh, very impressive sometimes what they account for in, in each new entry in terms of those 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 visual cues, those auditory cues, stuff like that. Yeah. I do want to ask. Uh, so, man, sorry. This is there's something random I wanted to say earlier, and I, like I, I completely forgotten in it. It's popped to my mind. Um, we were talking about Link to the Past, and we were talking about, like, the, 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 uh, like the comics, the Nintendo Power comics, which is actually, like, a, a manga that was put into Nintendo Power. Yeah. And the ending of that manga, to me, is, like, mm-hmm. one of the most emotionally complicated endings I've seen in a Zelda game. And there's been some very complicated emotional endings in Zelda games. Twilight Princess, Link's Awakening probably come to mind for a lot of people. Uh, but that ending, of that, that thing, like, I'm sorry, this is a spoiler if you haven't read it yet, so go away for, like, 30 seconds while I explain this, everybody listening or watching. But the end, after, like, Hyrule's been saved, Link has returned the Master Sword, and, like, Zelda, like, rides up on her horse, and she's now, you know, taking over rulership of Hyrule, and she basically says, like, we were so close to each other when we were in this, like, the in this chaotic situation working together. But now we're so distant. And she kind of says, like, bye. She's like, 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 like a serious goodbye. Like, like, uh, we don't share that strong bond anymore. But it was, like, very yeah. mature. Like, people, like, things change and they evolve. It's like, we're no longer that close. And I was like, yo. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, as a kid, I was just like, oh, that's kind of, like, stinky. But now as an adult, I was like, holy crap. That's a very, uh, it's not, like, the most complicated. It was complicated, very like, For Zelda, I was like, deep, yo. Yeah, for, for a video game series and in that, you know, case of a manga. Um, I think there's the layers of it. There's the layers that, you know, kids can enjoy Zelda games. Um, obviously, adults can, but then the deeper kind of you dive into, as you were saying, you, you're so into the lore and the timeline, and there's so many dark aspects of it too that you can totally disregard all of that while you're playing. But there's all of that if you do want to get deeper, deeper, deeper into it. You know, it can it can get intense in a lot of the games. Yeah, I mean, we see that reflected in Ocarina of Time's ending as well, where you know they it it, it tackles the very real question of a of a childhood 
deferred, literally deferred and, and, a, and a, a lost. And, you know, Link gets to go and relive that, but at what cost? I mean, and by that point, he'd grown very close to Zelda, depending on where you place his thoughts in his head, of course. Maybe he's grown closer to Malin, who knows? But, you know, but still, he's, he's forged relationships as his adult self that are going to be lost when he goes back in time. And, and it really makes you think. It's not just the, the typical hunky-dory happy ending. And, and there are places for that, for sure. But I, I love that, that Nintendo, even back then, like with that manga um, and with The Link to the Past in general, they could very easily have gone the route of, okay, Link and Zelda are always going to be romantically attached in every game, and every game is going to end with them getting together. But they don't do that. Some of them do, and that makes it more special when they do. And when I th- uh, uh, on that note, I'm thinking of the ending of Spirit Tracks. Mm. I thought it was the sweetest, most just heartwarming goosebumps. Like, I loved it. That last shot at Spirit in, in, at the end of Spirit Tracks when they just hold hands and face the future together, and I'm like, "This is cool. This is cool." Because it's not as though they always end up together. Some versions do, some versions don't. But that's what makes it special, I think, and that's what makes it more relatable and exciting when it does happen. And uh, and you know, especially when you consider that uh, you know, that I like to, I at least imagine there to be that kind of connection between Hero of Winds Link and Z- Tetra slash Zelda. In the Wind Waker, like I, so I thought that was kind of a nice through, emotional through line for their descendants to kind of have that in uh, Spirit Tracks as well. But yeah, I just I love that their relationship evolves and is different from game to game. And uh, yeah, Zelda has always embraced a more mature kind of complicated style of storytelling that they they didn't need to. They could just be like, hey, this is a kid a kid friendly game. We're just going to give the happy ending every time and. And no, and of course, going back to the Ocarina ending, then you, in hindsight, you take what happens Majora's Mask to that poor, poor, poor version of Link. I was thinking about <laughs> that one. Think about that. That one has a lot yeah. of dark moments. <laughs> yeah, and and then you extrapolate that into what Twilight Princess suggests happened yeah. to that version. It's messed up. It's messed up, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I'd like, uh, I would like to believe that all this was kind of kickstarted by Link's Awakening. Um, yeah. I, I feel like that game, while, while Link to the Past showed me how immersive Zelda could be, and and, and like what what I, I still love that game. Link's Awakening showed the infinite potential of Zelda that it doesn't have to be beholden to these archetypes and these tenets that people believe that Zelda has to be about about the Triforce, about Hyrule, about Ganon. Zelda has to be present. I mean, it just needs to be. This adventure is devoid of all that. You know, it is referenced. It is referenced in the nightmares and other things, but at at its core, it is this side story. But it is just on an emotional level and an attachment level. I think while the world of a link to the past, because it came first, obviously that that's a lot of the strength of the bond for me. Link's Awakening just I think might be a little bit stronger in that in the character bonds in that game because ultimately that game is you know about the I mean we're talking about the endings there and obviously the ending of Link's Awakening the choice that Link makes at the end you know he he mm-hmm. what he has found in this island what was he re, what is he really saying by awakening the windfish and dispelling the dream you know did he even have a choice like like those questions I think those types of questions started to rise with Link's Awakening as we mm-hmm. did you both yeah. were talking about in future games I think that was the impetus for it 
Link's Awakening is brilliant. And if you ask me which one I'd rank higher, Link's Awakening or Link to the Past, my answer will literally change with the day of the week. I can't ever <laughs> there's no there's no right answer with that. And and the especially the the storytelling in Link's Awakening and everything mm-hmm. you said about the implications of the ending. I remember as a kid, you know, the 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 first time I discovered the the shrine near level 6, the face shrine, there's like a different shrine that you discovered that talks about how this is all a dream. It basically tells you that's the big plot drop moment. Mm-hmm. This is all a dream. The windfish is dreaming. Like that, even as a kid, like I kind of felt like a, a, a rock in my stomach. I'm like, well, surely, okay. I mean, maybe it's a dream, but I'm sure Link will find a way to, to save everyone anyway. And maybe, you know, you know, Marin will live and everyone's going to be fine. No, they're not. He he wakes up the windfish and they're all gone. And then you, uh, you see the seagulls and, and the end and it's just right through the heart (laughs) just like even more so if you beat the game without dying and you see Marin instead of the seagull you see her face in the sky yep and it's like all she wanted to do was see what's over the horizon and explore and it's just like these games get you where you live and and maybe as a kid I wasn't uh at the time I wasn't mature enough to to see just how profound that was to find that in Mm -hmm. in a video game especially a Game Boy game uh to you know of all things but you know, looking back, the the storytelling tricks they pulled, and and the fact that they weren't willing just to rest on their laurels and just deliver a happy Hollywood ending, it, mean, it means a lot. And and those were formative experiences for us growing up. Now, a Link's uh, Link's Awakening was one that I didn't play right around when it came out. I played okay. it for the first time a few years ago. I played the original version, and then I got the Switch version. But I think I had wrote it off all those years because I thought it looked exactly the same as the two Oracle games, and I had played those, and I said, you okay. know what, I experienced that. I thought it was just going to be pretty much the same but with different dungeons. So when I finally went back and played it, it really challenged a lot of those ideas. Like, I realized it's not, you know, that same Zelda formula. It still has the same formula, but there's that extra aspect to it that, you know, that you guys were just talking about. Um, I think that's something that's special about the Zelda series and maybe why it's so popular, because even though it has all these same themes that keeps coming back to in almost every game, there's also some kind of themes that are brand new. It always challenges that formula. It's always doing something new and different. And like you said, Zelda's not even in that game. And the whole twist is different than you would expect. Same with the ones like Majora's Mask. And, you know, they're, they're always finding new ways to put a twist on it and make it, you know, new and refreshing while retaining that formula that we know and love. Thanks for yeah. It was, yeah. It was also a very powerful game because it proved, uh, at the time, portable games. You know, it, it, not to, like, to, you know, minimize its its importance in this regard is that portable games were just dismissed. You know, people were dismissive right. of them of being anything significant. Uh, oh, no, console games where you play the real game experiences. Handheld games, you know, Game Boy games were considered like what people, the stigma against mobile games today was what that had. And here comes Link's mm-hmm. Awakening and says, uh-uh, you can have this type of experience on, on a handheld on the go. And, I mean, that changed the landscape for a lot of things, you know, a lot of projects that came after that. But also, the, they used to mention the formula. The game is one of the most linear Zelda games, yet it is very fondly remembered and highly regarded, which kind of flies in the face of when people say, oh, Zelda's about openness, about, like, freely exploring and choosing your own path. One of the most revered games is not that at all. It's not really, it's, it's about you are supposed to go on like a fixed journey. There's some leeway here and there, but it is one of the more linear games in the series, which says Zelda can also work in in, in, in all these different styles. It's like when people try and describe what the Zelda essence is or what the Zelda formula is, 
that's one of the complex wrenches in the work is that Mm -hmm. is it really open world or more open like nature is it like linear when you have these two examples like something like an ogre in time or even a breath of the wild and you have something like this like how do people reconcile that like i always like, it's always a challenge i think where, where how many layers you have to boil down through to get to like what is the real core of zelda which is like some people i think it's hard for some people to define sometimes it is and i think it's interesting because you do have the zeldas that are pretty much completely open world you can do them in any order then you have the ones like link's awakening where it's strictly linear you have to do the dungeons in a certain order and then you have the ones that are somewhere in between where where some of it has to be in a certain order but then maybe a little bit opens up like in ocarina of time you have to do the first three dungeons in that order but then it becomes a little bit more freeing and they might nudge you in one direction, but there's actually multiple ways that you can do the dungeons in that game. Um, so it's, in some ways it's linear, but then there's kind of that mix, that balance in some of the games. Yeah, I mean, what what the way one person defines Zelda and what Zelda means to them could, could be and often is completely different from what another person f- feels what Zelda is and, and what it, it is defined to them. And, and I think that it takes a really special series to be able to do that. And and, uh, it, and not only that, but it takes a special series for people, for many people, to say the most interesting and memorable installments are the ones that have nothing to do with the 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 main plot line of Zelda and Ganon and the Triforce. Like a lot of people say, Link's Awakening and Majora's Mask are the ones that stand out to them the most. And the main parts of the whole myth mythology don't even appear in those games. And that that's a special series indeed to be able to claim that. I feel like we were. It was a, a special gift to have back-to-back examples of what you of of this uh, very strong traditional Zelda game in a link to, in, in a link to the past, as well as mm-hmm. Ocarina of Time. Immediately followed their successors by these more departure games with you know Link's Awakening and Majora's Mask, and seeing those side by side and having you know as you said like you for you ash what day of the week is which one you'd rank higher for link to pass and link's awakening that's how some people are for ocarina of time and majora's mask and right. I, I think that's like exceptional that they did not once but twice and back yeah. to back like that and, and seeing you know having those two very distinct styles of zelda and seeing how passionate people are about both and which ones they they like more because they both are doing similar yet very different things at the same time Right. And they, they tried to pull it off a third time with Wind Waker and Phantom Hourglass, but didn't quite get there, mm. unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I, I chalked that up more to, or less to Phantom Hourglass being bad and more to just Wind Waker being that good. And it's just really hard to, I mean, it's probably a little bit of both, but it's really hard to follow up Wind Waker in that way. There's no bad Zelda game, I think. Um, mm. it, you know, when you're when you're putting it in the grand scheme of things, even a bad Zelda game is still a very good video game. So sure. when you're comparing the ones, you know, the Zelda games that don't really live up to your favorites, if you're looking at it by itself, it's still a good game. Exactly. <laughs> now, w- would you include the CDI Zelda games in that statement? <laughs> now, that's not a main series Zelda game. All right, fair enough, fair oh, enough. Yeah, we're going to tangents now. I, I, I feel like yeah. the only other series, for, for me, uh, obviously people might feel this differently about other series, but Zelda and Final Fantasy, for me, growing up and through the like the years, have shared a similarity in that everyone has a favorite one, every one is very different from each other, um, and while there is connective tissue in the Zelda series, uh, some would argue that 
almost most of them could be viewed as standalone and enjoyable. Where like with Final Fantasy, it's like if this one was like X number wasn't for you, well, there's always gonna be the next time, and then you know they're gonna do something really crazy different. Mm-hmm. That's been the same thing with Zelda. Instead of doing uh, uh, like something like what modern games do, where they're a little bit more iterative with each of their six their successors. Zelda, you can always count on, for the most part, they're going to do something wildly different with the gameplay and design of this next one. Like, oh, we're going on the ocean in the Wind Waker. Okay, we're going to play as a wolf in Twilight Princess. I mean, yeah, it's Light and Dark World again. And in, like, Skyward Sword, it's like, oh, motion controls and, you know, flying world and a world below that's, like, more seamless. They've done these crazy things. Phantom Hourglass, you know, we're going to go on a boat and... Like hit touch controls and then spirit tracks with the train. It's like there's a train. Like yeah. what's the train doing in the Zelda game? <laughs> so I mean they done that. Like it was always the kind of the thing, and I kind of like that about it because even if one wasn't your favorite, you always knew next time. Uh, there was always a next time. But man, Zelda games. The, I want to ask about the Zelda games. Felt like for the longest time they took forever to come out, especially when I was younger. It seemed like the gap was like mm-hmm. forever. And I want to specifically talk about the gap between uh, leading up to Ocarina of Time. Because that game was delayed so many times, mm-hmm. and it felt like it took forever to come out. Yet, when looking at it now, uh, I think even Breath of the Wild sequel, when it's been announced, and the gap between it, it's gonna like approach a larger gap or as long of a gap as that, and it doesn't feel nearly as long as we were. I was younger then; it felt like forever. For yeah. me, I, it's a little bit of a different experience, oh. um, but I do. So I, I was, um, I ended up playing Ocarina of Time a couple years after it came out, so okay. I, I don't remember that lead up to it. But for me, I think the the first game that I really remember waiting a long, long, long time for was Twilight Princess. That mm. game got delayed several times. I distinctly remember having pictures that I had printed out, like sc- like just screenshots from the trailer that I had taken and printed out from my computer and putting it on my wall and having the release. Date and I remember I had to scratch off that release date two or three times and write a new date under it because it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and I think that ended up becoming a common theme you know later with especially with Breath of the Wild and and whatnot um, so I I still see it today too. <laughs> it's still a long wait for me yeah I don't acutely remember how I felt during the wait to Ocarina of Time. I know that I was distracted by a lot of late-era SNES games, just because that was such an incredible time for, for gaming, especially if you're a fan of JRPGs. I mean, you had games like Super Mario RPG and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, and you know, and the, the N64, while it didn't have a ton of games, it still had some stuff before Ocarina, of course, were playing. So I don't I know I was excited, and I, I got it day one. I went out to to get uh, it was known as EB EB Games or was it just Electronics Boutique maybe, yeah. Um, but yeah, I went to the mall to get Ocarina of Time first day, uh, and I was so excited. Um, but I don't remember as much about the waiting period up to that. But what I do remember is how difficult the wait was for me for Majora's Mask because I was one of those people who got completely caught up in the early internet days of, of speculating about what may still lie hidden in, in Ocarina of Time, such as the yes. Triforce and the Light Temple and all that stuff, the Unicorn Fountain. And I, yes. I spent hours and, and, and hours on a website back in the day called The Odyssey of Hyrule, which claimed to, uh, claimed to you know, follow leads to where you could actually get the Triforce and the other. There's the beta quest and how you can if use you a game. If you beat the game a hundred times. <laughs> exactly. And I was so into that. And so I was, of course, following, you know, uh, news and magazines at the time, like EGM about Ura Zelda and Zelda 64 DD. And, and, you know, so at the time when there was that to look forward to and Majora's Mask eventually, I was like, okay, 
is this going to be the answer to all the stuff that is kind of left unanswered in, in Ocarina of Time? And of course, it didn't end up being that. And Majora's Mask is great in its own way, regardless. But I remember day in, day out, I would be obsessed with the quest for the Triforce and, and what may still, can you beat the running man? <laughs> stuff like that. I, I just explored, I was trying to find things by doing the, the whole Game Shark beta quest thing and exploring that and finding unused assets. It consumed me as a kid. And Did you ever so find the Star, Star Fox using the Game Shark? Star Fox and I didn't time. find it myself. I, I certainly re reproduced it yeah. later on when I found out it was uh-huh. a thing, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing." Yeah. But yeah, that is, <laughs> Ocarina of Time pulled me pulled me into the uh, the how fun the discovery of a game's assets and secrets and unused content can be. I think more than any other game prior to that point, I was just obsessed with finding things that had not been found and, and things that were either gone unused or maybe were going to be used in, in Zelda and Ura Zelda, you know, stuff like that. So that's what I remember more uh, about in terms of the hype period after Ocarina of Time and leading up to Majora's Mask. But I know that I was also excited for Ocarina. I just don't know if I was like waiting agonizingly day after day for it as much. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, each person's experience is different. Just because I had I made, had access to Nintendo Power, they kept. Mm-hmm. I remember it starting with like Zelda sixty four and showing like the thing like the hundredth ep- volume of Nintendo Power, like the first hundred screenshots of Zelda sixty four. Four is even oh, Ocarina uh-huh. of Time. So all those now famous beta shots, which you know more recently as the those uh, leaks unearthed uh, from the the, the leak codes people found where those right. environments are now which is a, like mind-blowing to see that you know how many years later that that's now been all that's been figured out but back then when they were showing us the screenshots like just seeing that evolve from looking like a, a zelda 2 zelda 1 art style made into 3d fighting like a staphos to becoming something that looked more resembling ocarina of time that progression i just remember it feeling like it took forever but just couldn't wait to get my hands on each new issue and just like okay any zelda update on here and it's like oh no i gotta go to wait next month and stuff but yeah it wasn't really until after that that uh like stuff like that i think like the the rumors and all that about what you could do in this game i think the thing i found what was most fascinating was the uh reading about the the flying link trick with the like link hookshot and opponent and and lake hylia where you could go to the tree and if you dismounted after doing something certain and, like, you hookshot the tree, Link would be lifted into the air. He's, like, grappling the tree from the air. And then you could, like, go around. Like, it was almost like boundary break style. <laughs> like, you can go right, beyond the right. boundaries and see everything. I was like, oh, this is, my mind was blown. I was like, whoa, what, this is how it looks over here? It's like, they even put everything over here. It's like, there's no wall. It's like, oh, I get it now. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, see, like pe- yeah, again, peeking behind that curtain to see, like, a little bit of how developers did their tricks. It was kind of like the first time I became a little bit more acutely aware of stuff like that. Like, oh... I'm seeing mm-hmm. some of the secrets, the the, the the illusions being shattered just a little bit here, but it's also very interesting. And while I've never been really drawn to game development as like something I wanted to perf- per, uh, pursue as a career, like just the intrigue and the understanding of how it happened, uh, I've always been kind of like drawn to that. You know, the the, the stories about how Absolutely. games are made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one particular screenshot of, of I think it was uh, when it was back still known as Ura Zelda, and uh, there was a screenshot of what looked eerily like what it would look like if you were able to keep going down the path to the right of the Temple of Time. And you see, you know, you're, you're blocked, and you can't go, but there was a screenshot that looked like what it might actually be if you were able to keep going down that path. And that, I remember, just set my imagination ablaze. Like, is this, are we going to be able to explore 
past certain boundaries in Ura Zelda mm. that you know like is this going to expand the the existing world the world that we knew consumed yeah. with that yeah and uh, of course didn't work out that way but I always hoped when Ocarina of Time 3D was a thing I always hoped they would add some sort of extra new content as a nod for to those internet those early internet sleuthing days like hey here's an extra temple was that always there mm. no but you can pretend it was and so I was I was hoping but it makes sense that they wanted to preserve the the original experience of course the way it was i feel like if they they did that there's a group of us that would love it but there's another group that feels like this is such a holy thing do not touch do not change do not add do not get rid of that would probably yeah and i think on nintendo's side they might think well we could just use this content for another game why would we add it to a game that is already you know yeah i think so well loved by fans I love when games do that, though. Like, oh, uh, I, I would, I would love it. <laughs> yeah, like Link's Awakening Deluxe is a perfect example. I remember being so into the fact that the the, the color dungeon was beneath oh. the graveyard, and I'm like, man, I like to imagine that was always there. That's the coolest yeah. thing. I love when you yeah, revisit that's an example worlds. of they did that. That's true. Yeah, I just I yeah. love when you revisit established game worlds that hide new content that you like to maybe pretend was always there. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, uh, similarly, this is kind of a tangent, but I was similarly consumed with the whole stop and swap thing with mm, Banjo-Kazooie yes. because of how, you know, that the original intention was for you to be able to go back into those Banjo-Kazooie worlds and get the ice key and, and find new areas and worlds you'd already explored. And that stuff just fascinates me. I, I love mm-hmm. that. Cut content, I think they they there definitely has been instances where they've said that stuff that didn't make it into X game eventually made it into a, a, a future game. Like Combat on Horseback right. didn't make it into Ocarina of Time, but clearly that did make it into future Zelda games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the most maybe notorious or maybe just straight up famous uh, instances of cut content that uh, at least from my perspective when it was being talked about was a big deal and I think people still reference it today because especially when the HD version of this game came out people were expecting maybe they'd revisit it was the Wind Waker um, yeah they, they talked about how AJ and Uma, uh, in an interview stated that in order to get it out on time they had to cut some dungeons uh, and then there was some, some blowback about the, the Triforce quest at the end. Was that what replaced it? So and so. So when HD version came around and people had their hopes on, oh, maybe they're going to add back in those dungeons. Where Anuma actually said in another interview that those concepts for those dungeons actually made their way into other Zelda games already. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, like, you know, they, they already found their purpose. So do they have to, like, what's the, do they go and make a more dungeons for the sake of making new dungeons even if they don't reuse the same concept like i guess it gets tricky there is what i'm trying to say but also i'm curious did the cut content from the wind waker the the specifically the dungeons did that uh were you like aware of that and uh you know did you you feel like they're lost at all when you played through the wind waker or no I wasn't at the time, no. I was still pretty young when The Wind Waker came out, so I think for that game specifically, it didn't feel, like, even though I knew that there were fewer dungeons by the time I was done playing it, it didn't feel like it was a shorter game just because the world, it felt like, was so much bigger. There's, you know, so many islands and the whole great sea and stuff to go through, so many more side quests and whatnot, Um, so it didn't feel like it was a shorter game to me, Um, and I didn't find out about that until, you know, I guess years later that there was even cut content. Yeah, same for me. I don't think I ever felt that Wind Waker was lacking for content back when I first played it. Um, and and I, don't, I don't think I even really ever minded the Triforce fetch quest as much uh, when I first played it. You know, I, I certainly recognized that it was a weird shift in, in pacing. And in hindsight, of course, you know, I, I wish they could have 
had all the content they wanted to in Wind Waker and, and not had to streamline it. But Wind Waker to me felt enormously complete, even you know back in the day before the nips and tucks that Wind Waker HD made to that part of the game. And I think I was just so into exploring the Great Sea and, and charting out every island and and I was so into the, the version of, of Hyrule that, that the Wind Waker was putting forth anyway. I mean, it was essentially a post-apocalyptic Zelda wrapped in a really beautifully colorful, vibrant, you know, cel-shaded world. But it was the post-apocalypse. And I, I, I was so drawn fully into that world and, and, and that, again, version of Hyrule, that state of Hyrule, that I didn't really mind that there were less temples, I guess, less dungeons. That game was very deceptively happy. You know, you start off yeah. on this sunny outset island, and then the next time that you come back to outset island, it's all, you know, the whole storm is coming down where you're trying to find your boon again. And mm-hmm. um, just, yeah, so many dark layers in that game, too. You're right, it's post apocalyptic on this yeah. seemingly bright and sunny world. <laughs> I, I've always loved that about Wind Waker. And I think I've said this on a previous friend code, Damiani, but I always saw, like, you know, the whole thing about Twilight Princess was how dark it was before it came out. It's so dark. It's T-rated. And it ended up being, like, the Hot Topic version of dark, where it was kind of, like, it was dark, <laughs> but superficially dark. Whereas Wind Waker was, like, it's dark. And it's, like, it, it gets on... It's, like, kind of dark that gets under your skin when you think about the... The ramifications of everything and the ending is really is, that is final battle and final <laughs> battle and and just yeah so uh wind waker was dark in a, in a really subversive way i think that i uh, that i think has really stayed with me over the years and uh and yeah but but i know that i i don't think i was uh feeling a lack of content when i first played wind waker back in the day and it was only until later that i found out that there had been stuff cut in the first place which i guess they, they have never come right out and defined what exactly was cut and was repurposed for future games, but they apparently, whatever content was cut from Wind Waker and ideas, they have used in dungeons in future Zelda games. We just don't know. I always assumed it was Twilight Princess just because it came next, but... Yeah. yeah. And that game has like nine dungeons anyway, so... And who knows what ideas they shelf and then bring back many, many years later. There still could be unused ideas that they might decide to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. I will say two things... The I'll say two more things about the Wind Waker. One, I love its uh, depiction of Ganon. Uh, it's my favorite version of Same. Ganon. Uh, yeah. Paints him as the most, you know, sympathetic villain. Uh, he's the most development. Uh, it's not just I'm evil for the sake of being evil. And I really appreciate that. And I hope, hope that is something that comes back in the future at some point where they, they even if it's not Ganon, they do another villain that is, uh, that has that. They, they've come close a few times, but they keep doing the, uh, the whole, character assassination stuff like with Zant just you know yeah. how you want to interpret I what say, happened with Zant yeah. at the end and sorry oh I was saying I would say Hilda is probably the closest they've come yeah. since to Hilda's a good yeah. one yeah mm-hmm. so I appreciate those types of uh, villains and then uh Sorry, the, the second thing I was going to say about the Wing Waker, which I just, I think I just forgot actually. Gonna say oh about no! Ganon and then, uh, 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 oh crap. Um, I hate when that happens. Yeah, I know. It's like just on like the, 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 the tip of my tongue. Um, I was going to like praise it about something I forgot. <laughs> well, if you I think of I, it, just, just start saying it if you think of yeah, it later. Yeah, yeah and, and on that note, to give you a chance to think of it, I will say one other thing that I really loved that Wind Waker did was that it made. I mean, Link was always a, a, a bespoke character, but he felt more like his own character 
and, and not just an avatar for the player for the first time in Wind Waker more than anything else because he had his own family. He had his grandma. He had Errol, mm-hmm. his sister. And, and you could tell that, you know, he, and he emoted. He, he had these wonderful facial animations. Yes. He speaks, he says, come on. Yeah, he (laughs) speaks. And like, you know, that that scene where he's sailing away from Outset Island for the first time and he's waving to his family. It's like, I I care about this version of Link more than any other Link Mm -hmm. prior because he's his own character. And as as I said relatable. yeah, like I always prefer that uh, more over inserting myself as an avatar. Like I always prefer following these characters, defined character, uh, yeah, yeah, these defined characters, and and Link felt for the first time like a truly defined character, even if it was just you know the bare minimum, it was still more than what we'd ever gotten before. I loved how Link's eyes would move to something of interest. I mean, it might not have been the first game, but like it start, it it was the first time I was aware of. It's very evident. Yeah, like a character feels alive. Like, you know, this character is really dared. They would look at something and it's like, oh, I love that way of informing the player. Hey, maybe look over here because the character sees it even though your camera angle doesn't show it. The thing thing I remember now, because the come on thing, which is what I was thinking before, but he said it because that reminded me of dungeons, which is what I want to, the second point I want to make is the the co-op, not co-op, but like having a partner in a dungeon. Um... That, 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 the Earth oh, Temple, yeah. and it went, yeah, that having the car, having Medley come along with you and being able to switch between them. It was something they, they did in that game and they kind of went away from for, for a long time. They technically first introduced it briefly in Majora's Mask uh, of, of, of coffee and, uh, and, uh, right. the, the, the Sacone. Well, I would say, here's the pronunciation stuff. So I it's always a weird one, right? I said, yeah. say, I used to say Sacon. Uh, when I was a kid, but I mean, if it's Japanese, it's Sakon, right? S A K O N, Sakon. Sakon. I've always Sakon. said anything. Yeah. Sakon. Sakon. And then it's cafe. So like coffee. I thought we thought it was supposed to be like a. I coffee. said cafe. They're ca- sorry, <laughs> cafe. <laughs> like yeah, it's supposed to be like a nice. cafe. I don't know script. if that's yeah. right. <laughs> but like, I used to say like cafe and stuff like that. But anyway, that whole side quest line, you got to toggle between them to get the that was it the sun or moon yes. mask. I forget which one it was. I think it was the sun. To finish that quest mm-hmm. line, which was amazing quest line by the way. But amazing in in the Wind Waker, line. they really ramped it up. Gave those playable characters unique mechanics. Uh, and, and some people I think might have found it tedious, but I actually saw a lot of potential there, and we didn't really see that return until I think uh, Spirit Tracks, when you could toggle between Zelda and Link, you know, when when Zelda was tagging uh-huh. along with you, and that's something I hope, you know, that's why I always point to like, you know, we're not really doing speculation, but like, if a future Zelda game were to have two playable characters again, I'd like to see yeah. that with unique styles of play and being able to toggle between them. I love that about the Wind Waker. I would love that. And I miss mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and Breath of the Wild 2 does seem to at least, you know, initially be pointing in that mm-hmm. possible direction. So I, I really hope so. And uh, going back to what we were talking earlier about the power of video game music and especially the power of music in Zelda. And I think this is something that Wind Waker also excels at. I mean, every Zelda game does this to a certain extent. But I think Wind Waker, because of its place in the timeline and because of how it's connected to Ocarina... Uh, like the fact that when you're just starting out on Outset Island, you hear that the, that music sting for Kokiri Forest from Ocarina of Time, and you hear that leitmotif, and it just brings things together in, in a way that it it wouldn't if you weren't aware of that, if you weren't aware mm-hmm. of that musical connection. And um, I just, I love that aspect of the Wind Waker. And it also happens to have my favorite rendition of the Zelda overworld theme. When you're setting out in the Great Sea and the sun's yes. rising and those strings kick in, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, and it is by far my favorite version of the Overworld theme to this day. Wind Waker's music is just top-notch for me. 
I feel like in Zelda games, the music has always been so effective as at what it's set out to do, to make mm. you feel a certain way or remember a certain thing um, or to notice something, just even the sound cues in a lot of cases. Maybe the music gets more menacing. Something that always stuck yeah. out to me in Twilight Princess, when you are doing the boss battles and you start to damage a boss and you're, you're you know, starting to attack it and really um, give damage to it. The music changes in that yeah. game, and it becomes you know this much more epic piece. And you realize, oh my gosh, I'm actually yeah. I'm actually doing something. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, just I love those little changes and just the the way that it makes you feel. Yeah, the way the way it yeah. makes you feel in the moment. I'm I'm reminded of uh, of Breath of the Wild actually to talk about you know one of the more recent Zelda games. I love how uh, every Blight Ganon theme, you hear Ganon's main theme. You hear that rising, ta-da, ta-da. Like, it's, it's Ganon's theme, but it's done, uh, the instrumentation is different based on which Blight Ganon you're, you're fighting, and it's based on the race connected to that. So if it's the mm, Rito, mm-hmm. you hear more of the flutes and more of those kinds of instruments, where if you, it's different if you hear, if you're fighting Thunder Blight Ganon, and it's, uh, you know, connected to Urbosa and the Gerudo, and it's so good, man. Zelda music. We could have a whole hours-long discussion mm-hmm. just on music. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Series, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Zelda series is a champion of dynamic tracks, and for yeah. the longest time, the series did get flack. How many times did I read, like, an IGN article or something back in the day saying, why is Zelda stuck on MIDI music? Why hasn't it gone to CD-quality music like uh, like Sony has, like, around, like, the like PlayStation 2 GameCube era that became... So many like outlets were criticizing the Zelda series for that, and while the the the, the sample quality might not have been uh, higher to a higher standard that you might have heard from uh, from other systems, the nature of Zelda's music, how it could evolve dynamically in a situation, the, exactly what you both been talking about, was more was easily more accomplished by that. Obviously, it's easy it's easier to do nowadays, but at that onset of that generation, I remember not really noticing that a lot in like so my favorite like even like Final Fantasy X that doesn't happen a lot in that game it's very distinct tracks that play out and need to be looped and play and that's it they don't really dynamically change during any situation whereas in Zelda as you said even in the midst of a boss battle like when you're on the offensive the music will shift tones there when you go back on the defensive it'll change there or like you like something triggers something to happen and that music accompanies it and I just have a lot of memories attached to that throughout the, the 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 series. Yeah, it's still music that I can just turn on and listen to, even if I'm not playing the game. It's just so good. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, that's and I mean to be fair, that's pretty much that's most games for me because I'm such a video game music nerd. But Zelda <laughs> music is certainly up right way up there, and uh, I'm reminded now, like there are still things to this day that that people will discover that I didn't know about. Like, uh, and it was probably maybe a year ago now, maybe a little less than a year. But uh, it was recently found that you can hear Morse code for SOS in the Divine Beast music. In, in each Divine Beast, you can hear Morse code in the background tones for SOS, suggesting that the champions were <gasps> signaling for help while they were being I didn't know that. The, it's really, That's really new to me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, if you just Google Breath of the Wild Morse code, wow. there's like a whole Reddit thread on it. And, and see, those are just yeah. little things that the, that they don't have to do, but it, no. it just adds this extra layer so that when you do find out about it, it's such a cool thing. It's so cool. My Yeah, my thing was uh, Ocarina of Time's opening uh, sequence, the title screen, and oh, yeah. so many people back then going, oh my gosh, it's Mario 3's Warp Whistle. I'm like, no, it's Zelda 1's <laughs> Recorder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I was like, I love that, that repurposing of like just a like, mm-hmm. classic sound effect. 
and making that the, the focus of a, a theme for, for, for a title sequence like that. Also, by the way, the first time I ever plugged in Ocarina of Time and turned it on on my N64 <gasps> and seeing that sequence, I was like, oh, the, yeah. the, the scale and scope hit me. I was like, this is a huge, this is going to be a huge game. This would be massive, isn't it? I'm, I'm in. Right. Like, this is gonna, I'm gonna be here for a while, and it was a great feeling, yeah. though. I loved having that feeling. It was like a different type of intimidation than hitting the dark world in a link to the past. It was like that was more. I gotta tread slowly. Where this is like, I want to dive in, and there's gonna be so much to do. Yeah. And I can't wait. I think the most yeah. um, modern example of that for me is because I I didn't really have that feeling when I was a kid with Ocarina of Time. It was obviously still a you know a big deal, but I had you know quite a different experience. But I had something very similar when I was leaving the Great Plateau in Breath of the Wild for the first oh, time yeah. and realizing, oh my gosh, this world is huge. There's so much here. Yeah, no, that there there's that, and and like I said, I think the first time I you set sail in on the Great Sea and you first yeah. hear that theme kick in for the first time, there's such a, a uniquely wonderful sense of melancholy. Like it's it's mm. hopeful and it's high adventure and it's heroic, but it's also a little bit melancholy, and that speaks to again the placement of of Wind Waker in Zelda's timeline and what exactly has happened in that world. And I love that we're still seeing even games not made internally by Nintendo still carry on that musical legacy, like Age of Calamity. Uh, I, first of all, the game had a great soundtrack, and I mentioned one of the uh, music stings earlier. But even just the main map theme, when you're just like checking out the map, there are three different versions of that theme. There's like the regular one, then there's the oh shit, Calamity Ganon's here one, and then there's the oh, you've beaten the game one, and it's really serene yes. and it's peaceful, uh-huh. and it weaves in parts of Zelda's lullaby. And I love that, especially given everything that's going on with her and Terrico and, oh. and how the game, like, it's, it's I love that, even, <laughs> that that's a big thing, even in games not made directly by Nintendo. Mm-hmm, for sure. There's like a surprise at the beginning of each theme for each of the major 3D Zelda games, that little flute playing, like, like telling you it's the beginning of a day. What is that theme going to be? It was like start with Ocarina of Time with the Hyrule Field. Then, then you know, that mm-hmm. was its own unique theme, but it didn't have the, the Zelda theme weaved into it. Then you got to Majora's mm-hmm. Mask, and they're like, let's give you that. And then, as you said, like the yeah. Wind Waker, the one that stands out for most of you. They kept, I love that motif they kept doing with a little flute to introduce, and it's like, mm-hmm. what comes after? Yep. What, like, yeah. I can hear yeah. it so distinctly yeah. in my head uh, because it's so recurring. Yes. Yeah. And Twilight Twi- Twi- Princess actual, does that too. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Even though the overworld music changes, that's, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. Wow. I just, I love that. I wonder so if they'll much. bring it back. Uh, I, I have some uh, some patrons wrote in to share their memories about The Legend yes. of Zelda. I want to read some of these. A lot of these are first-time experiences as well, so it's, it's very interesting to see where everyone got their start mm-hmm. in The Legend of Zelda. Uh, the first one comes from Raul. Hi, everyone. One of my first memories with video games was watching my brother play Ocarina of Time when I read over his magazine walkthrough guide. We went through pretty slowly, uh, revisiting the game every few months or so. I can't even remember if my brother ever beat the game. He kind of stopped playing Nintendo after the late 2000s. But after Breath of the Wild came out, I decided to go back and boot up his old N64 and play Ocarina of Time myself. I couldn't believe how well it held up today. I enjoyed the experience so much that I went ahead and played literally every other single mainline 3D Zelda for the very first time that summer. It was like I put myself through a gaming history course. Ocarina of Time has a special place in my heart, and I wonder what Nintendo could do uh, with the property going forward. Uh, do you think there's any possibility of a true remake of that game, not just a remaster like the 3DS version? Keep up the great work. 
For one, I just want I want to point out about what he's saying about going back to a game after so long or even every once in a while. I feel like Zelda is the only series where I go back and replay the games every once in a while. I don't think I really do that for any other games, but I can always go back to Zelda and and replay it again years later to re-experience it. Um, as for if they'll ever do like an actual true remake, not just a remaster of Ocarina of Time, I think it's inevitable that someday, maybe not anytime soon, but I feel like that's kind of their holy grail, the game that they keep coming back to. We'll continue to get some kind of remasters, remakes. They know that that's such a beloved game. It, it will sell no matter what they do to it. Um, I think that's a very po- you know, strong possibility someday. I don't, I don't know. I, that's not usually, from what I can... I'm trying to think of any other examples where they might have done this, but like I don't feel like that's usually Nintendo's style. That's not really their MO. They, they're they content to keep experiences alive by porting games and, and remastering games from console generation to, to generation. But I don't I don't know if they'd want to take the risk that, that remaking a game like Ocarina it would of be Time a risk. would entail. You know, because mm-hmm. no matter what you do, you're going to piss off somebody. You're either going to piss off the purists who grew up with the original... And, you know, I mean, look look how many people were upset that they changed the swimming controls and the save system in Majora's Mask 3D, right? So Ocarina of Time is so revered, so beloved, that I just don't know if they feel like it would be worth the risk it would entail to remake the game from the ground up. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would they like would do it anytime soon. In mm-hmm. fact, I think we would get a remaster again before we get a, you know, full true remake of it. But I'm thinking, mm-hmm. like, even decades down the line sure, after yeah, the you know then. the remaster has you know been there done that kind of thing i think by that time we're going to who knows what games are going to look like then i think that's a game right. that they could go back to and maybe do that sort of thing for i think if they're going to do that to a zelda game it would probably be that one that's true i do that that ocarina of time is certainly the final fantasy 7 of zelda if there is going to be one that they do remake from the ground up is kind of a tribute it would be mm-hmm. ocarina of time no doubt in my mind Jeez. Yeah, mm-hmm. all I ever wanted, my dream was just to have, I mean, it'll probably never come true now that the, was the rumor Sony is going to be buying them outright, but I always wanted a Blue Point Games uh, version of Ocarina oh. of Time, just like what they did with Shadow yeah. of the Colossus, just going from the PS2 version to that PS4 remaster, and just, I was like, I want Ocarina of Time, I want them to do Ocarina of Time, just that like it's the same sick. game, it's the same game, yeah. maybe they add like a little bonus thing somewhere here or there, you know, maybe the Light Temple, you know, is in right right forces there somewhere but the visual fidelity upgrade you know the 3ds version you know was a slight nice improvement but this is like an, a complete visual overhaul like dark souls like i'm uh, sorry demon souls the demon right. souls is the, the more recent one something like that would be perfect i think for that because it would still kind of like honor the game it wouldn't be really radically changing anything other than a huge visual update I do hope that Nintendo gets us part of the way there eventually with, like I've been saying, I don't want ROM dumps of, of N64, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask on Switch. I want them to up-res the 3DS versions yeah. and, and, and just re-remaster them, I guess. I mean, and that can be up-res to 720p. I don't have to, they don't have to like go all in on it, but I want to play those graphically remade versions of those games on my TV, on the big screen. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to do only on a handheld. I want to experience those nicer textures and those better character models on the big screen. Yeah, they won't look quite as nice on a, on a giant screen, but still, I don't want just ROM dumps. You know, I, I want to experience those remade versions because uh, especially with Ocarina and Majora's Mask 3D, those were really special remakes in the sense that the graphics were touched up and they were improved, 
but they were done so in a sense that made you think that's what they always looked like when that isn't yes. actually what they always looked like and when you really do when go back, you close your eyes yeah, yeah and think like, about oh, what the game was worse. yeah so they, they remade <laughs> them in a very faithful way that played tricks on your brain and yeah. uh and i would like to experience that on the big screen personally yeah, because when you think about what you played when you were a kid, when you close your eyes and think about that, that's how you imagined it. Yeah, like you um, fill in the gaps. Good, like it wasn't yeah. that rudimentary, but it actually was. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I have a question from Zach. Hey, everyone. What is your dream oddball spinoff for Zelda for the Zelda 35th anniversary? Because Ash is here, I have to mention how awesome it would be to have a Mega Man-style Zelda game, taking on bosses and gaining <laughs> new weapons and tools along the way. Cheers. <laughs> Oh man, that's. I mean, I guess we kind of had we had a Zelda platformer already in Zelda Two, um, and I wouldn't mind seeing that remade. To be honest, I actually think there's there could be a lot of value in a in a modern remake of Zelda Two that uh, that that fixes some of that game's pitfalls, but also maintains its really unique style in Zelda. But what would be a good spinoff? That's I might need a little time to fit, to fit, to think on that one. If you have an answer, Rebecca, already. I do. This is the one that I say every time, and I will keep saying it until we get it. But ever since Super Mario Maker was announced, I've wanted um, a 2D dungeon maker. That's my absolute dream game to be able to go back to the old 2D style. Give me Zelda 1. Give me A Link to the Past. Give me Link's Awakening. Give me Minish Cap style. Let me. And I know they did that in Link's Awakening where they had the chamber dungeon rearranger, but that's not yeah, what I'm talking about. Exactly, Whenever yeah. I bring it up, people point at that. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't want to just copy and paste rooms. I want to do what we do in Mario Maker, where we can place an enemy, where we can make it so that it, you know, you have to defeat all the enemies to make a key pop up, and just make it so that it's, you know, one cohesive dungeon. And people always bring up, say, yeah, there's going to be, like, bad dungeon designs. People are going to have a hard time making good levels. But I feel like that's the case in Mario Maker, too, where there's bad platforming (laughs) levels in that game. But for every, you know, there's bad ones, but there's also the, you know, the, the... the gems there. People make some really creative things, and I would love to see what the community could make. Um, you know, endless, really good Zelda dungeons, and then kind of have a have a stab at making my own as well. That's my dream game. Mm. Nice. Um, I think I'll probably say, and, and we're never going to get this because Cadence of Hyrule already exists. And I want to mm. preface this by saying Cadence of Hyrule is a good game, and it's a good rhythm game. It's just not my style of rhythm game personally. I like. I like the more, you know, kind of like uh, Japanese beat-matching style of rhythm games. And, you know, we just got Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. That's a blast to play. And I would love to have a more traditional style beat-matching rhythm game dedicated to Zelda. Um, I do think Cadence of Hyrule already fills that rhythm game niche. I don't think it's ever going to happen. And it is a good game. I just, it's just not the kind of rhythm game I prefer. And I think if I could have my pick, it would be a, yeah, like a beat-matching style Japanese rhythm game entirely dedicated to Zelda. Um, and put so, all of our excellent Zelda music into it yeah, that we were just talking about. Make it a celebration of the series, like Melody of Memory is to Kingdom Hearts. Have a, just a mm-hmm. bunch of original tracks from the games themselves, as well as like orchestrated tracks from various concerts and piano collections, and just make it a, a celebration of Zelda I think that would music. That would be a, a different niche than Cadence of Hyrule. I think that would be a totally different game, I think. They, I, I mean, I they think could it both could exist. Be. Because Kings of Hyrule mostly remixes Zelda music, as far as Mm -hmm. I know. So it doesn't necessarily use the original tracks as much. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I mean, maybe they could both coexist. I just don't know if that's something Nintendo would do, necessarily. Um, They seem to be mostly content to stick to Rhythm Heaven, where rhythm games are concerned. 
Um, please bring that back, Nintendo. Please bring Rhythm Heaven to Switch. But other than that, yes, uh, yeah, a Zelda rhythm game done in that style, I think, would be the spinoff I'd most want to see. It's a good one. I will say, let's get a Tingle collection with freshly picked Tingles: oh, Rosie Rubyland, Tingles Balloon Fight DS, that DSI app that I can't remember its name, uh, and the one it that was, never came the to one, North America. The one, it was, and the other right. one that didn't come out. It's like ripened something. Uh, I have it, and I could probably grab it, but I don't know the Japanese <laughs> box. But like, there were four, uh, two proper games, a balloon adventure spinoff, and then the app, and just put that in the collection. Let's get a Tingle collection. And that had the best Zelda character ever, Barkle, Tingle's dog. <laughs> I used to go through that website for freshly uh, picked Tingle's Rosie Rupinland, the Japanese site, because they had all these like hand-drawn art things for it. They kept updating, and they were like massive amounts of it. And it was great. Same with the Minish Cap Japanese website. Man, they, their old Japanese sites were so good with like the artwork they would post on there. It'd be the first time you'd ever see this type of concept art before it like appear in in guides or in like the books that have come ever since, like the encyclopedias and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Got another one here from Cesar. Hey, Damiani and crew. I know this is a long post with no actual question, so here it goes. Zelda (laughs) memories. The oldest ones are playing bits and pieces of the NES games. I never understood them and felt they were pointless. Just walking around without a mission or objective. Bear with me. I was a kid and didn't speak English at the time, so the few the few clues that the games gave, I couldn't understand. Don't worry. I don't think anyone understood the Zelda one clues whatsoever. <laughs> they were they, like some of them actually right. mistranslations yeah. in English as yeah. well. Yeah, he didn't have to speak they, English. He they, still didn't. They get actually it. gave you wrong information, so don't feel that like it was. Yeah, it was an old style of localization. Then the NES game came along, uh, and through pu- and and through pure serendipity, a copy uh, sorry a copy of A Link to the Past found its way to me, and I loved it to pieces so much that I had to get the Game Boy as soon as it came out, and then everything stopped. I jumped from the SNES and Game Boy to a DS and Wii, so I had a lot of catching up to do. One of the first games I got for DS was Phantom Hourglass, and I completely loved it. Again, bear with me, I had only played A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening at the time, so Phantom Hourglass was a huge step forward for the series. After that, slowly but surely, I kept playing the other games in the franchise, finishing with Breath of the Wild from March to June of last year. While some games stayed with me more than others, it's a stellar franchise with flavors for every taste. I'm glad that you read that one. I, I know it's you know well that said. that's a long story. I love hearing how you know people have different experiences with it. All three of us have had different yeah. experiences with growing up with Zelda, and you know that's that's a fourth one that was completely different than ours. Just the order that people choose to play the game, what age they got yeah. into it, um, just having all of these different stories to it, I think, is just so much fun to talk about. Yeah, it's so it's so easy to forget that not not everybody grew up playing the same games you did at the same times you did. So for me, I'm not the biggest fan of Phantom Hourglass, but that's because I was coming on you know coming off of it from the Wind Waker, you know, hoping for a big Wind Waker sequel that it just didn't deliver for me personally. Mm-hmm. But if I had got, come from a Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, I'm sure I would have loved Phantom Hourglass way more. So mm-hmm. no, I'm glad you I'm glad you read that. It's so I love hearing. Um, the perspectives of people who who played different games at different times than I did. It reminds me of the uh, the story. Reminds me of the thing that was going around on Twitter. I did I I tried making the image, but then I just got like annoyed and just stopped doing it. The the one you have to draw a line through the games in the order you played them 
that everyone was sharing on social oh, media. That's cool. And this kind of reminds me, like in my head, I'm like, oh, their order, they jump around and stuff. Like that, it's very, that's a, a nice visual way to show how different everyone's experience has been with uh, the Legend of Zelda series. And like, it's probably like this with every other series as well. People probably started on a different Final Fantasy or, you know, even more recent like series. Probably someone probably started on, like, we're to hear stories of people didn't like even start on like, Dark Souls or Demon Souls? They were like, oh, I, I started on Bloodborne, or you know, as we go, yeah. as we get older, there's gonna be people that are like, I, wait, wait, you didn't start on this one? Oh man, I, now I feel really old and stuff. I there's a ton oh, of people. More more. There's yeah. a ton of people that just started Zelda with Breath of the Wild, and now mm. they're going back to the mm. older games and they're finding out about it through that. So I can't even imagine what that must be like to start with Breath of the Wild to go yeah. back, kind of the opposite of what what we did. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's 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 no stretch to say that, I mean, you know, we talk to people now who were babies or growing up when the GameCube was new, and it's like they, they literally don't have the same frames of reference and experiences that we did because they weren't alive when, when we were playing the games we were playing as kids. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's so interesting to hear the perspectives of people who grew up and uh, for whom their first game, was, Zelda game, was Wind Waker. And then they went back to play A Link to the Past and Zelda 1. It's just a completely different perspective and one that we can never... No, because we we just were we grew up at a different time, and that, mm-hmm. that's what makes those perspectives so valuable. Absolutely, exactly. Also, want to also point out in the, in the fairness of everything, uh, it's also not just like age. Obviously, not everyone has the same means as everybody to, to be able to buy Absolutely. games. Yeah. Like, so there are definitely older people who might be even older than I who did not even get a chance to play all this stuff, who might just be jumping in with Breath of the Wild for the first time, and that is a whole different experience as well. So yeah, there are right. just so many different variety of experiences you can have. With a with a video game series as, as rich and diverse as the Legend of Zelda series, so thank thank yeah. you for sharing that story, uh, Cesar. Thank you. Uh, do a few more here as we wrap up. One from Michael uh, for Zelda's 35th birthday. I'm hoping Nintendo re-releases or at least gives us a remake of a Legend of Zelda, Four Swords Adventures, and Tetris Trackers. Mm-hmm. Both games were great back in the oh, day, nice. but having four friends that had all the equipment was rare and very expensive. So they really did this for Four Swords with the the, the DS the DS version, the, the part of the anniversary, the 25th anniversary. Uh, if you were like, uh, was that a legacy person, early adopter thing? I forget what it was called that program, but you got it for, like for free. So they the ambassador was it the ambassador Nintendo, program? Yeah, was it called that? Something like, like right. That. Uh, the Switch would be perfect for this type of game, and multiplayer could be done easily online or wirelessly locally. It wouldn't be expected by the general public. Plus, the GameCube version can could could use an upgrade. Love and respect. So uh, specifically, Tetris Trackers, because that was technically the first Zelda game to be fully voiced uh, for for all the characters uh, in there, and that this didn't come out in in English. Though at, uh, at an E3, there was an English build playable. There is footage of that in English out there. I would love to see an English version of that be localized fully. Mm-hmm. I would love that. Yeah. I haven't played played either of them. I ended up buying Four Swords Adventures um, years later as well, but I haven't even had a chance to play it yet. But I could totally see them doing something, maybe tied in with Switch Online, um, where you could you know you could play with friends. Yeah, I I would be so hyped for a Four Swords Adventures port that just removes all the all the tethering, all the cables, all the you know the the requirements because I played that with friends back in the day, and it's fantastic. It's actually a lot of fun, just like Four Swords Original is, and and I'm I was really happy to get that uh, wirelessly updated for 3DS, that Four Swords Anniversary Edition. But Four Swords Adventures hits different. It's just it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a more 
uh, it's just a deeper experience that explores mm -hmm. more of what can be done with the Four Swords multiplayer idea. And it should not be relegated to GameCube. It, it absolutely deserves a new lease on uh, life on Switch without all those, you know, all the, all the hardware requirements. Unfortunately, Nintendo and online, kind of mm. like oil and water, I don't know if I trust them to be able to pull it off. I mean, I just tried to play some uh, Super Mario 3D World with my good friend Kat Bailey on a, on a stream on her Twitch over the past weekend, and it was not yeah. the best experience. That would be the fear, especially since it's quite unlike, and I, I haven't played it, so I'm just going based off of what I've seen, but it's not too similar to Triforce Heroes, where it's broken up into shorter levels where you could yeah. feel pretty comfortable with completing a level with a group of strangers and hoping that they won't back out, let alone a full game. I'm not too sure if I would be able to do it, you know, with, with their online infrastructure, get through the whole game with a group of people. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. Uh, Four Swords Adventures is split up into like bespoke stages, kind of, oh, like, it? Kind okay. of like, but but they're longer. They last yeah. longer. So I think you, you're on to something there about can you know can nintendo's <laughs> online handle that because not to mention if it's with strangers and you worry about them like exactly rage quitting <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I as much as i like the idea of that i just don't i, I don't know if i trust nintendo to be able to pull it yeah. off on the online you know format but i would yeah. love it and locally i mean you know post pandemic and the aftertimes i'd love to have that as a mm -hmm. local option as well yeah because so. yeah even with the wireless it just removes all those cables you know makes it yeah. just a little bit easier for for at least yeah that. exactly um we are we're hitting the the time limit here unfortunately so uh I, i'm gonna have to move on from the patron questions here uh we did get a lot of just submissions play the song of time we can start yeah uh, yeah <laughs> i wish i had that <laughs> right? I, I, Dragon Ball, I wish we had, but we all do. Everyone Aww. does. Everyone does. Or the, or the song I, of inverted I, time. I, yeah. There I, will, you go. I, I think maybe yeah. maybe uh, I'll find a way to work in these. Uh, a lot of you shared your stories, and I, I know you spent a lot of time with them. I'll find a way to cover those in another way uh, in the very near future. So I, I will get to those at some point in a different fashion. So thank you for all of you who submitted those. I want to wrap this up by asking one, one fun thing. One fun thing to wrap this up. Uh, because Ash, you just recorded something about this uh, similar, so I'm just going to do one. I'm not going to encroach on, on your guys' prediction stuff that apparently uh, you were you were shooting. I just want one prediction. Oh, fine. One prediction thing from the two of you, because we will be past this by the time everyone's watching it. Right, will okay. Nintendo talk? Will we see anything? See any new footage of Breath of the Wild sequel in this Nintendo Direct? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's. I think. I think it's a little too soon. Still, I. We might get an update, but I don't think we're gonna like an update on the status of the game's development. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we're gonna get like a whole new trailer. I mean, new footage, footage. Yeah, personally. footage. Will we see? New yeah, footage? I don't think so. Yeah, so. no, I said the same thing. I uh, made a predictions post on Twinfinite. I uh, don't think we'll we'll see any footage. Um, I think if they do mention it, if we get any kind of mention, it's just some kind of acknowledge we're working very hard on it. Please stay yeah. tuned. You know, later this year we'll have more to share. I'll I think at, at most. Background. Yeah. <laughs> Please understand. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, are, are we pessimistic? <laughs> I feel like it's kind of... No, I like to say realistic. Yeah. I know it's not a fun answer. I hope we're wrong. I hope we get something. I, I, I do think we're going to get something Zelda, period. I think, I think we'll, we'll get, get something some Zelda, Zelda stuff. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to be Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I, 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 agree. I wanted the hard one. I wanted the yeah. Yeah, Breath of the Wild 2, because yeah. that's the one everyone really wants yeah. to see. I, I could see them saying, yeah. you know, stay tuned for more information. In the meantime, take a look at this that we have prepared. <laughs> right. For, for sure. 
So right. Um, I, I I will I'll be I'll be different. I'll say yes. I'll say we'll see. Ooh, just okay. just have one out there. So stakes. It, yeah, I like it. We got, we got we got some we got some fun there. This is just you know no no werehogs or anything. That's our currency we do here at Easy Allies. When people win bets, they get werehogs. But hey, uh, those oh who, man. Yeah, <laughs> they spend them in our Twitch chat and stuff. And apparently, uh, was our uh, Brad Ellis was doing a a stream recently. People went through all the, they were betting on stuff. And apparently, when everyone through went all their werehogs, it was pretty funny. I was like, <gasps> I love it. Betting, oh, no. <laughs> and betting, man, and reactions it just goes hand in hand. And we got to get back to that at some point. Anyway, that will do it for this episode of Friendly. I know I want to keep talking. I really do, but unfortunately, I know, right? I, we I, could I, talk about this all night. We have, a, we, have a, we have a group stream, and I'm actually hosting it tonight. We're playing. We are doing our Super Mario 3D World Online. Ooh. Ash, oh, and someone reviewed it. I know what's in. Uh, they, they don't know this yet. They don't know this yet. One, they, I don't think they know the online woes just yet. Like how it's serviceable, but it has its issues. They don't know yeah. that my save file is right at Champions Road. <laughs> What? That's so mean. That is the meanest thing. Champion Road is already one of the harder, like, you know, Can we get in through it with 3D four Mario players? Levels. I don't. With, with that input lag, how is that? Just, we're, oh I think we're going to do, like, maybe 20 minutes of attempts and then move on and, like, just play. <laughs> nice. okay. I, I think we might crunch with that, see if we actually do it, but. That is probably for me going to be the highlight is watching us trying to struggle through that level. That's going to be a blast. But that is why we have to wrap up here. Otherwise, you know, I feel like we didn't get to talk about every single Zelda game. Um, Maybe maybe we'll have to do a part two or something. We'll see. Maybe that's how we'll work in the rest of your submissions. Um, Let's see how things go. You know, know, we never know. But uh, I want to thank everyone who did submit your questions. If you want to submit your questions, you need to be, uh, for consideration, you need to be a $5 and up patron. I'll make a post the week we're recording a friend code calling for those submissions. So thank you to everyone who submitted your questions. And again, I will try and work all those the submissions we didn't get to into some kind of future piece of content. Also, as a $5 and a patron, you're part of our early access tier, which means you get episodes of some of our shows and podcasts, including friend code, a little bit early before they go up publicly on YouTube. So thank you so much for your support. Also, uh, we have some shout outs for the month of February 2021. Uh, these are our contributing patrons. So shout outs to Elthanis, Greg the Dark Knight Kettering, Caleb Togi Crawford, Nick, Stephen Thomason, and Dougie B. Shout out. Thank you so much. Uh, before we wrap up here, I'd like to give both of you an opportunity to let everyone, our viewers and listeners know where they could follow you if they want to see more of your work. And if you got anything cool in the works, perhaps something special planned for the Nintendo Direct. <laughs> cool. Go ahead, Rebecca. Thank you. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Forest Minish. Um, I also stream on Twitch. Um, I'm the co-host of the Nintendo Shack podcast, part of the PSVG network. And I am a staff writer at Twinfinite.net. So I do all sorts of stuff. I'm at Forest Minish on all of those places. Um, I've been doing Zelda stuff all month long um, on, <laughs> on my streams. So I'm doing some pretty cool stuff this weekend on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Head to my Twitter. It's, it's all posted on there. Sunday's going to be a big stream day. Um, you can find me on Twitter at my name, which is Ash Paulson. That's A-S-H-P-A-U-L-S-E-N. So come follow me there for, I tweet about video games and video game music and dogs and, and food and all sorts of fun stuff. So yeah, no, follow me on Twitter. Uh, but you can find me on my new channel at uh, Good Vibes Gaming on YouTube, uh, along with my fellow co-founders and ex-game explainers, Derek and Steve. We uh, kind of split off and created our own channel, launched about three months ago, and things are going well over there. 
Uh, you will find us three days a week or three nights a week on our uh, our news show, Today's News Tonight, where we just get together and talk about uh, various video game news with a rotating panel of special guests. And uh, we do a lot of, with a lot, we're going to be doing a reaction stream, of course, to the direct tomorrow. And uh, yeah, so you can find us on YouTube at Good Vibes Gaming on Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash gvgaming. Uh, one of the most popular tiers we offer is our $5 live audience tier, where you can interact with us and our special guests, uh, like Michael Damiani, actually. He was uh, on one of our episodes of Today's News Tonight. And yeah, you can just interact with us and our guests uh, live in chat as we record. Uh, so yeah, you can find us there. Oh, and also, I guess I should say, uh, I did just finish, or I'm wrapping up right now, a project with Udon Entertainment, who I used to work for full-time. Uh, they brought me back into the fold to work on their Maverick Hunters Field Guide. So if you're a fan of Mega Man X, and you have a copy of the Robot Master Field Guide, and you, you always thought to yourself, man, it would be cool to have this, but for Mega Man X, well, we're making it, and it's almost out. So uh, look forward to that. Very awesome. I will have to check that out when it when it, when it arrives. I love. Yeah. Like, everyone loves. I think everyone loves Mega Man X. But man, I, I can always get. They bet they I should. Get if they don't. They should. You know, give me yeah. more Mega Man X. You know, come on, Capcom. Yeah, exactly. Where's that new Mega Man X? Where's where, X9? Where is it? Maybe, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> maybe it'll be maybe. Imagine. <laughs> you will hear. You will hear me exploding from oh anywhere oh in the world. Gosh, I just if that, if that it could be tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, the possibilities. So yes. It is Nintendo Direct time. Everyone is giddy. So thank you both of you for joining me uh, to talk about Zelda. Thank Absolutely you. a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. And until always happy to be here, man. Yes, uh, man. I'm like already my mind. Let's do this next week again. But <laughs> <laughs> I can talk about Zelda for three more hey. hours longer than that. <laughs> hey, it's the you can year. Always of... Talk about whatever Zelda stuff they announce. It's the year of Zelda. That's true. So expect yeah. definitely expect more of this. So thank you both of you for joining me. Until next time, everybody, may the way of the hero lead to the Triforce.